Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I am Daniel. This is a another catch-up because uh, I got a bunch of messages and then slacked off episode. A lot of messages here from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast with uh, just a little hint of uh, some Joe from Hindsight List there just to tie it all in. Just a little little flavoring of Joe in there. Just, you know, that little bit. Sometimes that's all it takes, right? A little too much and you might throw off the whole balance, but with just a taste of Joe... I think we've got what we need here. So um, sit back, relax, uh, enjoy these calls from Jason. Some of them are a bit old. So uh, hopefully you're still following those conversations. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. Okay, so just for some context, um, I think, again, it was a while ago, uh, Jason had asked me, because we're talking about the uh, index card RPG, which, by the way, just for the record, because just in case I come off as not positive towards it, I think it's a great system. They use... um, only modifiers instead of the attributes because oh, who needs attributes, right? We got modifiers. And I said, I prefer the attributes to the modifiers. Uh, so then Jason asked, well, how much granularity do you want? You know, would you prefer a D20 system, a D100 system, a D million system? Like, how would you like it? So this is kind of, uh, I responded back to that. And uh, now this is Jason's response to me. So that's kind of where we are there. Hey, Daniel, listen to your latest show. I stopped partway through because that seems appropriate with your show. So that's interesting, the idea that you're not worried about rolling dice. You're more interested in what the characters describe. So at that point, does the granularity of attributes really matter, especially if you're more interested in player skill than in the numbers on the sheet? I don't know, Daniel. It sounds like you're giving me two different things. Yes, I'm definitely saying two different things, and that's because there's no one answer to any question that is absolutely correct or that absolutely defines how somebody feels, unless they, I don't know, I, I can't imagine anybody that is that narrow-minded. But then again, there are a lot of narrow-minded people in the world. So, yeah, I like the idea of a, a range that defines something and not just that looking at it as a number. To me, when you just look at numbers, you're basically playing, uh, you know, might as well playing a video game. Uh, numbers are the least important thing to me. But then why a range? Yeah, well, the range could also be words, you know. And if you think about uh, OD&D, it literally does say uh, whatever. I think it's uh, 3 to 8 is below average, 9 to 12 is average, uh, 13 plus is above average. I could, I'd be fine with that maybe, you know, listing your stat that way. And now you're probably going to say, well, that's the same thing as saying minus one, zero, plus one, right? Yeah, it probably is. But I don't like thinking I have a plus two strength. I like thinking I have an above average strength. That's just the way my brain works. That book Excalibur sounds interesting. I look forward to, hopefully you'll talk more about it after you read it. You know, I had a book when I was, I don't know, I must have been in middle school, high school. I don't remember what it was called, but basically... King Arthur reawoke in modern times, I guess in America, because he was in America. He's running for mayor of New York or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Of course, Merlin, you know, ages in reverse. So Merlin was a little kid during the book, you know, in the book. And then there was another kid, I think. It was kind of a kid's book. But the thing that sticks out to me the most is that one of the campaign things that Arthur was for was he was pro-abortion, which seems like a, kind of a weird thing to inject into a young adult novel, but I don't know. Anyhow, interested to hear about Excalibur. Ah, oh, yes. I shall eventually get to reading this book. I have this habit of 
<laughs> I do it with Kickstarters too for way more money uh, of suddenly being inspired by something and buying it. it look, luckily with the cheap books, they're only usually four or five bucks. So uh, I will eventually read it. Uh, I do not know uh, what the, uh, the story is about, except for that it is in the South and it's based on King Arthur. So that it could be interesting. I mean, I'm not a uh, historian of the South, so I won't be able to tell you how accurate it is, but um, you know, if there's like grits and cornbread, then we'll know that it's real. Okay, listen to you talk to Joe about whether Lord of the Rings characters are optimized or not. I mean, I guess Sam is optimized if you look at him as a farmer. He knows how to tie ropes. He knows herbs. He knows plants. He knows how to cook. But it's not like Sam knows how to fight or anything. In fact, in the movies, you see Aragorn teaching the hobbits how to fight during the journey. Or maybe not just Aragorn, but anyway. But, you know, you see the, the hobbits learning how to fight during the journey. <laughs> yeah, that, that made, that's a good point. And also kind of works towards the, since these are old messages, right? Uh, the new conversation that's been going back and forth about backgrounds, right? Or backstories. And I guess, uh, you know, uh, people are put those two things together. But I, I like a background, right? Sam's background is that he was a farmer. So he had all the different skills of a farmer. And he didn't need to, to optimize the character to be able to have the ropes tying proficiency it's just you know yeah you're a farmer you can tie rope it's easy right so i agree with you there i also feel like the hobbits the hobbits especially maybe other characters too but definitely the hobbits in all the movies both the hobbit and and uh well and the books and lord of the rings leveled up throughout play and i feel like that helps um explain some of the cool stuff they do near the end but anyways it's all you want to look at it i guess I mean, I'm not sure exactly how true that is, both the party part and the and the threes, so I'll, I'll address them separately. I don't think I ever said you were hurting the party. Maybe I did. Who knows what I said? But uh, I just don't think it would be as, as fun, right? I think that, like it's fun to play a clumsy thief when you still can succeed. But the way that 5e is designed is that you will fail most of the time if you don't have decent stats. Which means that the game will just become, I mean, in my opinion, to become unfun because you can't, because so much of the game relies on rolls. And I know that uh, people listening are going to say, well, you can just role play and not, to, but the game isn't played like that. I mean, look at how people play 5e for the most part, I'm talking about the majority of people. They don't role play, they'll role play out a situation and they'll go, okay, make a charisma check. They'll explain how the thief sneaks around and then they'll say make a stealth check like they won't just let you do it because that just people like to roll dice right we this has been a conversation uh, that's been had so in those games i think right i think you wouldn't be playing the game we'll say correctly or uh if you didn't uh, at least try to make your character strong in the areas that they should be expected to be strong in right would it hurt the party maybe i don't know i don't believe in balanced parties and all that other crap anyways, and, you know, the, the cleric is the healer and all that stuff. I don't believe in all that. I don't believe in that at all, so I don't, you know, I don't expect your thief to be able to, to be an awesome thief if you're in my party. However, I think as a player, I want my character to succeed at least sometimes, and, you know, that would be a problem. Now, whether or not a thief with all threes would be a detriment to the party in BX, I kind of think that it would be, because... You know, most of the time you're not using your thief skills. So if you had all threes, you'd have one hit point, right? Which means you're probably going to die. You would have, uh, and you'd have a terrible strength and dex, which means you'd never hit anything in combat. So that would make you detrimental to the party because the thief doesn't just do thiefy things. They also fight, right? So 
I don't know, having all threes would be bad, but having a below average character or average to below average character would not be the end of the world to the party. You know, I mean, if you had a three decks and a, you know, a decent strength uh, or a decent charisma, you could then do other things, right? You could, if you had a high charisma, you could have henchmen, you know, if you had a high strength, you could fight, you know, why you chose to play a thief was more for role-playing reasons. That's fine. And you'd still be able to pick locks just as well. And, and I actually agree with that. I mean, I know that Joe cannot fathom that. <laughs> he even said that. But I, I don't see a problem because I know many people. I've met people in my life that do jobs that they're not super brilliant at the thing you'd think that would be adjacent. They just know how to do that job. You know, they have learned how to do this job and they might not be able to walk a straight line but they can, you know, pick a lock because they've been trained how to pick a lock. And that's what levels are to me. So, yeah, having some innate ability makes you better at it. And that's the idea of leveling up faster because you have high attributes. So, again, that's why I enjoy level-based systems and I also enjoy the older games. I feel like that, to me, even BX, which is my favorite game and I will never uh, <laughs> say otherwise, I think that there's some people put too much uh, weight on the the bonuses, the attribute bonuses. Um, I, I think stripping back the game to the most minimal bonuses is the ideal way to play as far as how I like to play a game anyways. Hey, Daniel, I just listened to your latest YouTube video about dumbing down D&D. I know I'm mixing the stream, crossing the streams here by calling you here, but I download them and listen to them on the phone while I'm driving. So, because I don't have unlimited data, so I'm not... You know, and I'm not going to type comments in YouTube while I'm driving, so I'm calling your podcast instead. Sorry. But I'm going to play devil's advocate. And I know you didn't – I know you're talking about simplifying D&D and approaching for a new player and why you don't think the adventurers pack with, you know, UD4 stuff in it or using usage dice for arrows is good for new players. So I'm, I know I'm going off on a tangent here. But I want to offer a defense for the adventurous pack with the nebulous equipment and for the usage dice. So the as far as the usage dice goes, I agree. It's not hard to count your arrows or count your beans. But the and again, I'm I'm kind of with you that I like counting them. But really, the big thing about usage dice is they add variability and randomness. So the idea is to create an interesting situation where you, you're not sure when you're going to run out of that resource. If you can always count them, then you'll, you're never going to be surprised when you run out arrows, where the idea here is to get that moment, like where Legolas reaches back for an arrow when it's not there. So that's why we use, or that's why usage dice are used. Or the idea of a variable length of a spell, and the idea you're not sure how long it's going to last. So that's where usage dice come into their own. For me, and again, I'm not saying they should be used everywhere, but I, but that's a devil's advocate argument for them. And then, as far as adventuring gear, the idea of having a a pack with five things, mundane items, and you can define it when you draw it out. I think the idea here is that the adventurers, your your characters, obviously have a better idea what they really need than you, the player, do, because they're living in that world. So if you think of something that, duh, obviously would take in the dungeon with him, but you, the player, didn't because you're thinking, well, I just Googled that on my phone if I need it, 
you, you know what I mean? So the idea here is that the Avengers probably would think to carry that, but you, the player, didn't remember to buy rations, but the Avengers is going to bring rations with him, right? That kind of thing. So, and again, I'm, I'm, this is a devil's advocate argument because I could definitely see it either way, and, and I have no problem counting beans and bullets, but that, that's, the devil's, that's the devil's advocate argument for those mechanics. Okay, well, here's my, my retort. Player skill involves keeping track of your stuff. You are removing the skill of counting your arrows. And in fact, I will give you a little anecdote. <laughs> I was just at a, con a convention and one of the guys had a bow and he had like, I think he had a dozen arrows. And at one point we were in a combat and he said, he said, okay, uh, it looks like, um, you know, he asked, he called us. He's like, do you guys have this? Because we were like, yeah, yeah, because we were fighters up front with our armor or whatever. And then after he said to us, he said, well, I only had five arrows left and, you know, I want to make sure I don't waste them uh, if you guys were, were not in trouble, whatever. So that to me is role play. That to me is realistic. Now, as far as the reaching back to get your arrow, uh, unless I'm doing usage dice wrong, I think that uh, that never can happen because you roll them at the end of a combat. So you'll reach back at the end of the combat and be like, oh, man, I'm out of arrows. But it will never happen during the combat which is, to me, where to be more exciting. That, to really cross the streams, is the kind of stuff you can do with, like, these, like, doom points and stuff, uh, you know, where you can be like, oh, you're out of arrows. You know, that, I think, is interesting. But again, that's a whole other kind of mechanic. Uh, yeah, the usage dice, I'm sorry. I, I know people love it. To me, they're just garbage. Uh, I think it's it's one of the worst mechanics, and I, I will die on this hill. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could... I, you know where it might be useful, actually? Uh, I'll say one spot where I think it could be cool would be if you're tracking like water and food on a long journey, because that could uh, be useful for some kind of thing that you might not, oh no, we drank a little bit too much water today because it was too hot or, or the, the, the keg broke open or you know some of the grain went bad. Uh, there I could see the usage I being useful, but arrows, eh. And also spell durations are generally not a fixed number in many of the osr games even without usage dice you don't need usage dice for that so uh, i don't think that your arguments are working for me um and also i think we're teaching people to play in a way where everything is random and i don't think that's really the true so, like there is a new true way but the true old school way to me is not that i think that dnd is a resource management game in fact somebody said Oh, uh, in some comment, they were like, I don't want D&D &D to be like Oregon Trail. D&D &D is like Oregon Trail. <laughs> At least when you're doing hex crawl and overland travel, you are tracking stuff. That's what, that's part of the game. To make it random makes no sense to me, especially with arrows, especially with spells. That just, uh, I'm not, nope. Okay, yeah. Maybe, uh, I mean, send more messages. Tell me why I'm wrong, but I just, I, that's just one of the mechanics I just absolutely don't like. There's mechanics I don't favor, like rolling under, but usage dice ugh. adventure pack ugh. you know what and, and what's funny is okay also at this convention see two things happen that were very useful at one point one of the guys clearly somebody who because uh, he talked about his 5e character like four times during the game has <laughs> he was younger so i'm assuming he's mostly played newer games we're in a bx game and at one point there was something out in a pond that we wanted to touch and he was like he looked at the dm he's like well can i just say i have a 10-foot pole and the guy dm looked right at him and was like no you can't <laughs> 
<laughs> you like you figure out another way to do it. Like you didn't take a 10 foot pole. You don't have a 10 foot pole. And that's D&D to me. You know, it's like, that's a learning moment for a new player. I can't just have whatever I need in that moment. You know, if it happened to be we were in a dungeon, but like if you were outside, maybe you could go cut a branch off a tree. Or what we did end up using was one of the players had a, a weapon with a long haft and we used that to reach in there. So like, you have to figure out other ways to do it. That's the creative part about an OSR game. And to me, OSR games are all about the role play, the interaction, the thinking, the problem solving. And by allowing instant problem solving by, oh, I've got a ladder or an elephant or a siege weapon or 20 arrows in my pocket because I have a usage spot or whatever. That to me is just, yeah, that's, that's just not the game to me. But you know, that's, that's me. See that? And even though I said I would die on this hill, I have a place where I would use use of dice. <laughs> I told you I'm consistently inconsistent. Automatic weapons in a modern game. I don't want to track X number of bullets per second that I'm shooting and how big is my magazine. I like the idea with that, that if you, uh, you know, if you fire some kind of an automatic weapon, that there's a little bit of a randomization. Actually, the way that Coriolis does it is great. If you choose to shoot on, uh, on full auto, you basically, uh, you roll your dice. It's a six-sided dice pool game. You keep your own your D sixes, and every time you roll, if that six comes, if the die comes up a six, you get an additional hit. But if it comes up a one, you've just run out your magazine, and you can stop at any time. So, I like that. I like that because it's random, and it's not like oh, oh, two more bullets, this many bullets, whatever. It's literally just it's a little bit random, and it makes it simplifies the process a lot. So that's kind of a usage die type mechanic that I think would be okay. Uh, arrows during a combat is way more work than just crossing them off. And like I say, it takes away from players, uh, agency and player skill. Maybe I would use them on long-term caravans for tracking water and stuff. But to be absolutely honest with you, 90% of the time on long hex crawls, I don't worry about that unless it's going to be part of the game. And in that case, I let it be known up front to the players. And the skill there is not the counting the water or rolling randomly. It is the, you know, making sure you bring enough stuff. So anyways, that's just how I look at it. As far as simple versus more complex games, so now I'm coming back to the question you asked at the end of your podcast, you know, what kind of games do I prefer or do we prefer? I like both. So we're getting ready to run Cyberpunk 2020 next month. And Cyberpunk 2020 is a pretty detail-oriented game, especially combat. And I like that. But I also like games that are loosey-goosey. There are games that are one-sheet games, everything fits on one piece of paper, that I really like and really enjoy. So I, I can play either one. I don't know that I have a preference. Um, we're going to see how Cyberpunk runs. I'm interested to see how it runs as an adult. <laughs> well, no, I played as an adult. It was the 90s. I was an adult. But we'll see how it plays now that I'm older. Um, lately, I prefer to run simpler games without a doubt. So I'll have to take a rain check and let you know after we run Cyberpunk what I think. Hopefully the combat goes good. Hopefully everybody takes it seriously and is paying attention because Cyberpunk is definitely a game where, you know, I don't care how cool your character is, a bullet to the head is going to kill you. So you, you, you have to take the combat seriously and play tactically. Um, and it's just what it is. But I, I like both, but generally it's easier for me to run a loosey-goosey game with one sheet of rules because I can improvise easier. And, and I don't, people can't rules lawyer me. So 
that, that's always nice. Anyhow, I'll talk to you later. That I'm with you, generally speaking. I um, I typically like a simpler game, especially to run a game. But every once in a while, it's fun to play something that has a little bit more intense rules where there's special moves and things like going on. I, I definitely am not opposed to that. Um, and Cyberpunk should be kind of interesting. Um, we'll see. I mean, I was... <laughs> I was tasked to run Cyberpunk a while back, although it didn't end up happening. And I did like that, uh, the combat system. Now, honestly, I think this is probably going to be controversial, as usual. I wonder, in my mind, if I will actually, if a game becomes that complicated with the tactics and stuff, I almost don't consider it a role-playing game anymore. But I'm okay with that. Like, if you break into combat and it's no longer an RPG, it's basically tactics and moving people around that's cool it's just a different game and i as you know do not have a problem with mini games so i feel like that might be how cyberpunk could end up feeling cut myself off because it was a minute because i forgot i was on my own podcast but i wonder though right because if cyberpunk is supposed to be punk and wild and crazy and whatever then but yet it's the most rules heavy of the games that just seems like it goes against the uh like they've sold out to the man right it's like the man has rules. This is punk. There shouldn't be rules to punk. I should be able to do what I want. I don't want to have to use a special skill to do this. I'm a punk. I can do what I want. But no, i got to follow all these rules. So are we really punk? Are we punk or are we just, uh, you know, corporate with a, you know, a little bit of mohawk on top of our head? Yo, Daniel, just listening to your Arlen Takeover episode right now. Awesome stuff, dude. Right now you're talking about how you like it when weapons matter in a game, and I cannot wait to play Cyberpunk with you, man. I think you're going to dig it. I just got finished, uh, actually just a day or so ago, kitting out my character, going through the core book, picking out all his guns and armor and all that shit. And I really think the... Uh, what is the company? Our Tulsorian Games, Mike Pondsmith. I think they did an amazing job of making all those weapons unique. Like, there really isn't a clear, optimal choice. Given all the different uh, facets of each gun, the accuracy, the damage, the rate of fire, the capacity, the range, all that shit, all that shit matters. Plus, there's the whole style factor. So, the game really lets you make some meaningful weapon choices. You pick what you want. I can't wait to play, man. Anyway, peace out, Chumba. Hell yeah. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to have some slots where I can just say I have something. If I want a lipstick uh, cannon, or I want a laser a brassiere, or I want some high heels with a stiletto in them, I want to buy those up front. I don't want to just look at the GM and be like, oh, hey, man, uh, you know, my character would know that I should have some uh, laser cutter sunglasses. No, man, if I want those, I'm going to have them. So now I got to go look at the book because I got a lot of money because I may or may not have sold out to the man. Okay, then I'd like to thank my callers, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast and Joe from Hindsightless. So uh, thanks guys for calling in and I will have another episode either tomorrow or the next day finishing up uh, hopefully all these calls and then I have some ideas. Uh, just a little teaser here. Um, there was a little bit of a conversation going on. I don't know who started it because I can't find it now on the... Uh, the Audio Dungeon Discord, where uh, I guess somebody had either posted a blog or a, uh, a podcast about how uh, RPGs, uh, D&D particularly, I think, uh, were not, uh, most modern RPGs were not great for actual true sword and sorcery. And I think I agree with that. And there is one game I can think of that is the best game for swords and sorcery, Chainmail. Not Chainmail with my OD&D hack, straight up Chainmail. And I think we'll talk about that soon.